Welcome to the Real Estate Women's Podcast. Thanks for pulling up a chair to our roundtable discussion. Here, we'll teach you how you can create a stream of passive income through multifamily investing, and we'll help you to shift your mindset so you can start living the life you really want to be living by design today. Hello and welcome everyone. We are the Real Estate Women. I'm Candy. I'm Colleen. I'm Tamara. And I am Crystal. Welcome to the Passive Investing Podcast. Uh, in today's episode, we're here to talk about self-directed IRAs. We're going to dig a little bit into how they can benefit you, how they're different than your traditional 401ks, and all that other stuff um, that is super important that we just might not know about when it comes to self-directed IRAs. Um, and that's why we did bring Karen in here for us. Uh, she is the expert for this episode, so we're super excited. Thank you so much, Karen, to be here with us. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So Karen has over 20 years of expertise in mortgage banking, real estate, and property management. She is the founder of UDirect IRA Services, and through her business has guided tens of thousands of Americans through the process of diversing, diversifying their investments using self-directed IRAs. She currently has over $1 billion under management. So Karen, could you start off by telling us what is a self-directed IRA? <laughs> right. What is this thing? You know, it's kind of a, a blanket term given to a lot of different kinds of retirement accounts mm -hmm. that have the ability to invest in alternative assets. So it could be a, a traditional a Roth, a SEP, a simple spousal IRA, it could be a solar 401k, even an HSA, a health savings account. All of these accounts can be self-directed and they fall under the umbrella of self-directed. That was a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like we could go through everything that you just said and talk about it. I think, I think too, that it's important to say that there's a difference between a typical IRA, right. you know, that you might have at Charles Schwab or TV Ameritrade and a self-directed IRA. In fact, you might even call those companies and say, Hey, I'd like to self-direct my account. And they go, great. And then you can self-direct into any stock that you want. Um, but then uh, that's not really self-directed. A truly self-directed account means that you are investing outside of Wall Street to a non-correlated asset. And so if you want me just to keep going, some of those assets are like uh, real estate, and which is in so many different forms, so many forms. It could be multifamily, uh, mobile home parks, uh, self-storage, raw land, lots of different real estate sort of assets. It could be private equity, which is normally then invested in real estate. Like if somebody has a fund or they put together, for example, a Reg D offering, it's private equity. A self-directed IRA is perfect for that. REITs are perfect for self-directed IRAs. A REIT is a passive real estate trust. Um, an IRA can invest in precious metals, straight up the, the actual metal where we would store it on behalf of the account holder and store the physical metal. Uh, notes, your IRA can invest in performing and non-performing debt as well so just a lot of different assets. Huh. Yeah. can can that ira invest in all of those or do you have to have a separate ira for each type of investment how does oh, that work question that that's what i haven't had before yes every kind of asset so there's no limit to how many assets your ira can hold the only limit with iras it really is the you know with as far as this is concerned is the contribution limit how much you can personally put into that account annually. 
Now, when you make a contribution, it may or may not be tax deductible. So sometimes you can pay yourself instead of the IRS, you know, by making a, a contribution. So elaborate on that a little bit, because if you're limited to your contribution, then therefore that limits how much you can invest, because what you put in is what you have to invest. So it does. But that? so let, yeah, uh, yes, exactly. So there are three ways to put money in a self-directed IRA. One is to contribute. Yes, you have the cap and the limit. The second way is a transfer. So if you already have retirement money, say in an IRA, you can transfer. And it's not hard at all. You fill out our form, you sign it. We sign it, give it to your current custodian, and they move the money over. So a current IRA can be moved over. Also, if you have an employer plan from a previous employer, it could be a, a 403B, could be a 457 plan or a 401K, you can do what's called a rollover. So those are other ways to put money into a self-directed IRA. And are there a lot of fees involved for that? Is that a pretty simple and expensive process? Like. I'm not That's familiar with IRAs at all, so I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna pull every bit of information from you, Karen. It's like yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, with UDirect IRA services, we keep our fees really simple. Um, you can see our fee schedule on our website. There's a setup fee of fifty dollars. The annual fee is a flat fee of two seventy five. So other companies may charge you like on a sliding scale. So the more your account is worth, the more they charge you like a percentage. We don't do that. Some companies charge you a base fee like we do two seventy five, but then tack on like, oh, you've got real estate. Well, that's that's an extra $100 a year. Well, you've got a note. That's an extra 100 We don't do that. $275 a year, regardless of the number of assets and regardless of their value. We have other fees, like you want something FedExed, you need a wire, and our wire fee is really low, too. So we keep our fees really low. And I think that's one of the things that people really like about us. Nice. And um... this is puzzled. <laughs> well, I have a lot. I know there's other questions. I mean, and it's not, not a, this. I know that the world revolves around me. But <laughs> I, I won't make this podcast revolve around me. <laughs> I know there are other questions to ask. And then if we have time, I'll get into some more of the nitty gritty how to's. <laughs> Well, I guess um, you had mentioned that uh, in the beginning, you said that there are quite a few different IRAs because um, IR, self-directed IRA is like a blanket term. So for somebody that is looking, for somebody that has no retirement account right now um, and they're looking to get started you know, with something like self-directed IRAs, particularly for the real estate benefits, where would that person go? What, what would be the best recommendation for something like that? Okay, well, I, where you're coming from is, is really is, is a way a lot of people think. So let's let's kind of put it in perspective. So if you want to invest in real estate with a retirement account, yes. you have to A, have a retirement account already. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. so there's that. So I think if you're just starting, wonderful. You know, what do they say? The best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago or today. So do it today, yeah. you know, if you don't have one. Contribute, Mac, you know, it doesn't have to be self-directed. It could be any other kind of account, uh, but start today. If, you, if it's a traditional Roth IRA, um, your contribution limit is $6,000 unless you're 50 or older, in which case it's $7,000 a year. So, so there you go. So you can, so just start contributing. If you work for a company, contribute to your 401k plan or whatever it may be, your employer might even match your contributions and then it can be free money. Yeah. And when, then if, when you leave that employer, you can roll it over and then you'll have hopefully the money to invest in real estate. Um, so I guess that if you do have money in other retirement accounts and you want to get into real estate, uh, you know, using this account, there are lots of ways to do that. You can 
your IRA can just jump right in and take down a property altogether. You know, just you've got enough money and your IRA buys it, save enough for a pad for expenses. Great. But that's not the case for everybody. Not everybody has an IRA that big. So a lot of times what people will do is partner, you know, like each one of you together, you could partner with the other one and go in like, you know, two or three or four people, whatever, and, and purchase a property together as some sort of tenants in common. Um, or one of you gets, a, a, anyway, there are different ways to structure that kind of deal, probably tenants in common. Um, or you can also borrow money. This is interesting. Having a background in mortgage, I was very surprised when I learned that an IRA can borrow money. I mean, a bank will lend money to an IRA account. It's called a non-recourse loan. Um, not a lot of lenders to choose from in this space, but we do have a list. So if you want a list of those um, non-recourse lenders, email me info at the letter U, udirectira.com. I'll send you a list of non-recourse lenders. Hmm. Um, so you're, I, I could go deep into that for a second if you like. Yeah, that would be yeah, great. Yeah, because like, my frame of mind is that person who maybe gets just get started you know you're just starting that ira so you like you said six thousand you can get in there you can't do anything with six thousand right away is that a situation where you'd be able to utilize something like the ira getting a loan for the addition or is that kind of my my, my going off in a different way that's not really relevant to that no you're thinking normally and you're thinking like a real estate investor okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i get it so understand ira world is a different world yeah. it's not private cash world so really with IRA, in IRA world and solo 401k world, when, um, when you're using a non-recourse loan, it's more, it's not like you borrow, like you've got 95% of, you know, borrowed money and six, you know, 5% of your own money. It's not like that. It's, it's really the other way around. Okay. And I'll explain why in a minute. So $6,000 isn't going to get you into a property. Yeah. Maybe you could make a loan, a micro loan to someone with that much money, but then you also have to consider account fees. It really Having an account that's small, self-directed, you could also invest in maybe precious metals, but maybe you should just wait until you have something to you know, take down a bigger asset. That, that might be good too. So, uh, but say for example, you do have enough and, and you've got a property, but ah, say it's a hundred thousand dollar house, right? And you're like, oh, look, my IRA only has seventy thousand, or you know, plus pad. And so I've got this much money. So I so my IRA comes up with seventy grand. And I borrow thirty thousand from a non-recourse lender. Beautiful. Now here comes the IRS to tell you that oh, guess what? You owe tax. What the like what? Self-directed IRAs are income tax deferred, and if they're a Roth, they're income tax free. But if your IRA does take on leverage, or if you invest in private equity and the asset sponsor takes on leverage, your IRA can be, um, you know, just your IRA could be subject to a special tax called UBIT or UDFI, okay. unrelated debt financed income tax. So just good to know yeah. before you jump into it. Right. Uh, we're kind of covering, uh, you know, lightly some of the, some of the deep topics uh, with self-directed IRAs, but just know you could borrow money if you wanted to. There's a tax, but you cannot, you file a 990T for your IRA, your IRA pays that tax, but you can also include expenses and deductions and things. So you may, and it really helps. So when you borrow with your IRA, the IRA is who has to pay back. Like, how does that work? Like on paper, who pays what so that it's correct? Right. The IRA is the borrower. So the IRA is the payer, but non-recourse means that if for some reason IRA can't pay back that loan, there's not cash flow in the property, for example, then 
if there was a foreclosure, the lender could only come against the subject property. You know, not against you personally, not against any other assets in your account. That's the non-recourse part, just the subject property. Okay. And can an IRA- so I have a question. Okay. Sorry. No, go ahead. So I have a question about, I've heard that like, if you invest with that, then the, any proceeds or profit needs to go back into the IRA? How does that work and what does that look like? Yeah, it must. Cause you think of the IRA as like its own little microcosm, right? So we've had people think they're really clever right. and take their, like the proceeds maybe from rent and put it into another IRA account. Oh no, <laughs> that's like game over. So then you've taken constructive use of your IRA funds and it's not an IRA, okay? So don't do that. The IRA must pay for any expenses related to its assets and any income from the assets in an IRA must come back to that IRA. Super, super important. We can talk about the rules and prohibited tra transactions and go deep on that too, but uh, to answer your question, yes, absolutely. Proceeds have to come back to the IRA. And so this is thinking of an IRA is, is long-term wealth strategy yes. only. Yes, it's retirement. It's it's to save for retirement. And you know, as you all are saving for your retirement, as I'm saving for mine, you begin to understand that retirement isn't just like one big bucket of money. It's layers of money, right? It's like, you've got a little bit of this, a little social security, maybe you've got a, an annuity or a rental property or your 401k or just these little stacks of, of like multiple streams of income. How many times have you heard that multiple streams of income? Your retirement is the same way. And you find different ways to fund that retirement because you don't want all your eggs in one basket, right? And so all those different um, sources can fund uh, your future life when you don't work. Um, and now, one of the things that I understand um, slightly about um, the differences, and I would love if you could just kind of elaborate, things like a four, um, an employer-based 401k in a self-directed IRA when it comes to the tax implications on that. Because if you could just talk kind of um, and tell our listeners more professionally about um, the pre-tax and post-tax money that comes into the IRA and how that is affected. Um, like with the profits from, for example, a rental property that you put into a self-directed IRA, how is that taxed? Or do you receive tax on that um, income? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're asking a whole basket of questions yeah. here. So let's, this, I love it. So let's talk about it. So there are kind of two worlds in retirement. There's the IRA world, the individual world, and the ERISA world, which is the employer world. And they do kind of mix sometimes, but kind of think of it like, like a 401k, anything that starts with a four, it has slightly different rules and it's a different kind of plan. An IRA is an individual retirement arrangement that's created by the ERISA Act in 1975. Okay? So now I get an A on my test. There we go. <laughs> so <laughs> what act happened in 1975? So the, the tax so all retirement accounts are at least tax deferred, income tax deferred. Okay. So you put money in a retirement account, you may or may not get a tax write-off. That's a good question. It, it depends upon your age, your account type, and your income, okay? So every kind of a retirement account is like that, whether it's IRA or ERISA, all right? So it goes in, all the proceeds are tax deferred. Now, if it's a pre-tax account, in other words, the money going in hasn't been taxed yet, then it will, the money, whatever you take out will be taxed on the back end when you do take the 
And if there's something called an RMD, a required minimum distribution when you're in your 70s, you have to take it out. And that's a whole other conversation. So you will face income tax at that point when you take the money out um, to use. Now, if it's a Roth, the Roth IRA, and also the HSA, they're two different, very different things, but the Roth IRA has money go in after tax. So you already paid tax on that money. Now you contribute, so you don't get a deduction. But any proceeds from the investments inside a Roth grow tax-free, yay. So it's growing, 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 compounding, you're investing, you're growing, beautiful. And as long as you meet two qualifying events, then you're not taxed at all on a Roth. And that's turning 59 and a half and having a Roth of some sort for five years, okay? So each plan has its own little tiny set of rules, you know, microcosm. And that, that seems so magical to me, to the fact that like you can purchase, let's, let's even just say something smaller, a three family property, you make that one purchase and that IRA is always getting that income every single month. It's appreciating, appreciating. And your IRA, when you're ready to retire, can go and sell that. You got taxed on the maybe 20 grand down payment, but now you're not getting taxed on that sale that could have been let's two, $300,000. So that is like so magic to me. And am I understanding that correctly, that that truly is the way it works? Because that is really, really powerful um, when it comes to long-term yeah. wealth in reducing the amount of taxes. That's, that's huge. Yeah, the down payment would come from the IRA too, of course, yes. you know, and, and, and uh, so yes, yeah, that's exactly how it works. And say, for example, then you sell that property at some point in your life, and then you then all the proceeds, not only, well, 100% of what you got from that sale goes in the IRA, untaxed, can go back out into the next deal, the next house you find, or whatever asset. So you compound faster yeah. because your earnings are diminished by tax. So that, that is really the strength of a self-driving. But is it Maybe. true? What I remember is that you can't own those properties. If if it's your self-directed IRA, you can't be the person owning those properties. Correct. Yeah. So your IRA owns them. So you don't get, so here, here we go with the rules a little bit and they're called prohibited transactions. So you are disallowed to your IRA. People who are disallowed are your ascendants and descendants. And also a 50-50 business partner or any fiduciary like your realtor. So, yeah, so those people are disallowed. So your IRA can invest in anything except life insurance contracts and collectibles. Um, but you cannot, you know, commit a prohibited transaction. Another prohibited transaction is offering services to the plan. So, for example, say you're a realtor and your IRA is going to purchase a property. You think, oh, great, I'm a realtor, so I'm just going to write a contract and I'll keep the commission. <laughs> so two things. One, you can't have the commission because there's you can't have present benefit or personal benefit from your IRA, one prohibited transaction. Number two would be if you were the listing agent, you would be offering services to the plan. And so you can't do that either. Like you can't go in and swing the hammer and you're not, you're not supposed to be doing any work on the property. You can hire third party vendors, but you're not, it's called an over contribution of sweat equity. How do you like that? Oh. <laughs> so okay. you can't do that. So, and this is a bucket of things it's difficult to just grasp in one sitting. So yeah. that's why we always offer a, a, you know, a consultation, a free consultation. If somebody says, hey, I really want to understand this more. This is what I'm looking to do. How would this fit in self-directed IRA? We'll always have that conversation. Nice. That's that's really, that, that's good to know the little things like that because a person with a creative mind can definitely start 
going that way really, really quickly because, you know, it's always about like, how can you maximize? How can you maximize your income and profits or, or maybe minimize tax burdens and all that stuff? So that's definitely a very useful conversation. I'm sure you have to have with you. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I have one question when it comes to having your money sitting in your IRA and you don't know where you want to invest it. Is it just sitting there and how is it growing? Is it growing at all? Unless I'm actually actively seeking a place to put that, those funds. It is sitting as idle cash. And so what, what the nice thing about that um, is that it's not at risk in the market. And there have been times where the market has dropped significantly and people are pretty happy that their money wasn't at risk, you know? Also, it earns just a, a fraction of a percent of interest. So it earns a speck of interest, but it's really there to cover any expenses of your IRA on assets. And it's there as a, as a cushion, as a fallback. Because if you all of a sudden had a big expense, for example, a real life situation, I got a call today from a, a syndication attorney who says, hey, my clients are receiving capital calls because they've invested in private equity and now the rates are higher. And so the projects are taking on debt at a higher rate. And so the asset sponsors need to do a capital call. They need a cash infusion. And these self-directed IRAs don't have enough extra cash in their account to meet the capital call. Mm. That could be a problem. You know, you might have to sell the asset. There are other things you can do. But, uh, so it's always good to have a pad of idle cash. And just think of it as your, as your super safe, you know, money that's not at risk in the market. Wow, that's that's a whole nother can of worms. I didn't even think about. No, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm just I'm just processing that right now. <laughs> it definitely seems worth it, you know, because like you said, it's it it is a retirement plan. Like you are investing in your retirement, and it's for me, a person that's always been self-employed. I don't have any type of retirement account. Like, of course, the thoughts of like, okay, six thousand dollars every year. I'm thinking more so. I wish I could do more at once and start using it quicker and uh, contribute more. You but can. Yeah, you can? Yes. And how, how would you do that? You said some magic words, you're self-employed. Okay, okay. Okay, so if you're self-employed, there are two kinds of accounts that are just for you, you know, or so, really three. Um, one is a simple IRA, nobody uses it. It's not as good as the other one. So if you want one, fine, we'll talk. But there's the SEP IRA which is an acronym for the savings, uh, which is, you know, it's a simplified employee pension. And it's an IRA, not a 401k. And we have a lot of people um, who have companies with employees and they use that so that all their employees can self-direct too. Okay. But the contribution limit on that for 2022 is $61,000. For 2023, boom, it goes up to $65,000. Okay. So it's a lesser of 25% uh, of your income up to a cap of you know, sixty-one or sixty-two thousand dollars. Yay! So now you can put a lot more money in, and that exact same contribution limit—you know, sixty-one thousand for twenty twenty-two, sixty-five thousand for twenty twenty-three—applies um, to the solo four hundred one k too. So why don't we talk about that? Okay, because okay, the solo four hundred one k has just got the buzz, the you know, bells and whistles. It is—it's—it's it's pretty cool. It does a lot of things. So, so number one, yeah, higher contribution limits. So, say for example, like uh, Crystal, say. Are you married or yes or whatever? Okay, you're married. So you and your spouse, this is a spousal example. You and your spouse are co-owners of the company. Okay, or it could be any situation, but just what's that? Okay. So you both own the own the uh, company. So there's a plan, okay, a, a 401k plan. Now you're both participants in that plan. 
So you can each contribute a max, say in 2023, of $66,000 to the plan. So you could technically stick away over 120K tax deferred into a solo 401k for your retirement. And then you know, buy assets that way as a, as a, as a couple. Wow. That's yeah. touch on that. So uh, tax deferred, meaning so when you take the money out, that's when it's taxed. So if you then take the funds that are tax deferred and and purchase something that then therefore makes obviously hopefully a profit and goes back into the IRA, that's so it's like building that is it when the funds go back into the IRA, are they at all taxed as they go in? Everything is tax deferred that goes in that particular uh, account. Okay. It is. Yeah, it, it is income tax deferred. It is. It is. So, so with, you know, and so with the solo K, it's, it's such a great tool. So that's one, the, the high contribution limit is one great feature. Another great feature is that you can borrow money personally. From it. Wow. Oh, okay. can't do that with an IRA. So you can borrow the lesser of 50% of the account value or $50,000, whichever is less. So say, for example, you've got something, maybe you're going to put a child through college, maybe you want to go on vacation, maybe you want to buy a personal residence. Um, I did this to buy a personal residence once, took a plan loan out. Now you have to pay your plan back at a market rate, something reasonable like prime plus one or something. Um, you have to pay your plan back within five years, so it becomes an investment, but you can take that money out and you have personal use of it in a solar 401k. There you go. Not an IRA, but a solar 401k. It's another feature of the solo thing. Another one is when you're using your solo 401k to acquire uh, real estate assets, it, it may not be subject to the UDFI tax. So even if you take on leverage, so that could, you know, you could find that that's an exception. We could talk, you know, go granular on that later, but that's another possible benefit from it. So, and another benefit of the solo K is that, so there are two parts. There's the employer and the employee portion of the solo Ks and you're both really if you're self-employed, mm -hmm. but the employee bucket can be Roth. So in a typical Roth, you if you make too much, like $130,000 a year around there, you, you can't even, you can't even contribute. You don't qualify for a regular Roth IRA. But if we're talking about the Roth bucket of a solo 401k, it doesn't matter how much you make. Your income isn't a consideration. You can contribute, you know, uh, after tax dollars to that Roth bucket up to a, it's, like over $20,000 a year you can put in there and then that money grows tax-free. So, you know, so those are four huge features of the solo 401k. To qualify for a solo 401k, you have to be self-employed and have no full-time employees in any of the companies you own. So if you wow. meet that qualification, you can have that account. Definitely want to talk to your tax advisor about it because they need to know that first off that they're going to be writing off those things. You become the trustee of the plan in that case. So if you need to file a 5500 or you need to file a 1099, you're filing it on your end uh, okay. as, as the trustee of the plan. You have your tax person. Lots of bells and whistles on that one particular. That so as an S Corp and being the president of your S Corp, that will that still qualify with, a, with an S Corp? Yeah, great question. You could be self-employed, like like not even incorporated at all, just, you know, sole prop. You could have an LLC, an S Corp, and a C Corp, and do the solo 401k, as long as you have no full-time employees in any of the companies you own. Wow. Love it. That is, that is so powerful. And I, 
learning so much right now. This is fabulous. And I hope our listeners are learning and enjoying as much as I am. This is so awesome. There's so many definitely different avenues. And that's why, you know, it's definitely so beneficial to speak to somebody like yourself, uh, Karin, because, you know, that you don't know what you don't know until, you know, you have that important conversation. So that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I guess the one other question that some listeners might be thinking, like, uh, for um, just a regular W-2 employee that has um, maybe a 401k, because I feel like a self-employer 401k, because mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of the majority. Um, what would be your recommendation and what would be the best bet for them to um, move forward in, if they wanted to do real estate type of investments with that? Yeah. So if you're in that position, you're an employee, you've got a, some sort of retirement plan with your uh, employer, you probably can't move that money out of the retirement plan until you leave service of that employer. Okay. Okay. So you have to take that in mind. So maybe it's a previous employer. A lot of people, we had just had the great walkout and a lot of people have changed jobs. Maybe you have some old 401ks you never rolled over, that sort of thing. You can you can move those funds. If you're employed and you have a 401k, you can also contribute to an IRA, but you have to file, you have to do a little special filing. So you want to talk to your CPA, you can do it. So you can have your 401k at work and you know, say a traditional IRA and contribute to both. So you want to discuss that about and make sure that your CPA knows any financial move you're making, you know, especially when it comes to retirement accounts or acquiring real estate, because they can really, really help you with a lot of savings ideas. So in purchasing real estate, let's just use the example of, of the the five of us on this call. Mm -hmm. Each of us has an IRA. Could those IRAs come together to form an LLC to then purchase a prop- property and then all the proceeds just trickle down into each person's IRA? Or is that getting messy with... It's it's super messy for an IRA. Uh, and I'll explain. Okay, there is something called an IRA-owned LLC, right? It's a special purpose LLC. So... If you're using retirement money and you went out and personally opened in your own personal name an LLC, your IRA could not invest in it because you're disallowed to your IRA, okay? So if any of you open an LLC and you just your IRA just couldn't be an investor. Let's say one of you opens an LLC and you want to um, have other people, you know, that your one opens up the other three of you co-invest with your retirement accounts and you don't have personal ownership, you can do that. Now you want to make sure that you're not breaching any SEC rules about raising capital. (laughs) Don't want to get in trouble with the SEC, Mm -hmm. right? So, but if you're partnering, another thing you could do is maybe one of you opens the LLC and the other three of you invest not as an equity partner, but as a debt partner. So you don't have an ownership interest. You are making a loan to the LLC. You could do that too. And when you're lending money to an LLC, it's not subject to the UDFI tax we talked about because oh. you're lending money, you know, and you're not an equity partner. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. It's, wow. Your brain holds a lot of information. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. Wow. I mean, so if I'm here, so go ahead. If I'm hearing you right, you can't be, you can't do both then. You can't be debt and equity with an IRA. Right. So if you say, for example, you're not going to partner. Now we're not going to partner. Okay. Now, now, now we're not doing it. Right. Your IRA can have, sometimes it's called a checkbook IRA. 
better to call it an IRA owned LLC because that's more accurate. So it's a special purpose LLC. Okay. Your, your IRA is open and funded. It buys 100% of the initial units of this LLC, right? So the money goes from the IRA account into the LLC. Awesome. You've got check writing authority. Great. Okay. So you can use that those funds for really two things or maybe three. One is acquiring assets. The other is paying the expenses of the assets. And the third is maybe paying your IRA account. That's it. Nothing else. Okay, you can do that. So you, you can have an IRA-owned LLC. You could partner with each other. But once you have an IRA-owned LLC, um, refunding it can be, you know, can be an issue because you, you can't, yeah, when you partner. Because if you partner with a disallowed person, that's what I'm thinking of. So you guys are disallowed to each other. I assume none of you are married to one another. So assuming that, um, it would be okay for you to go ahead and refund the deal, you know, put in future uh, capital contributions in the future. But like for married people, you're already disallowed. So how can your IRA invest in an asset your spouse owns? It gets complicated. Yeah. So keep, keep it away from spouses. How about parents? Let's say a parent had a 401 or a self-directed IRA and wanted to make real estate investments. Would they be able to invest in their children's real estate investments? They wouldn't. Children are, are definitely disallowed. disallowed. So you kind of think about that family tree. And so think of it like if you passed away, who would inherit your estate? It would be your lineal ascendants and descents. Probably be your spouse first, and then maybe your kids next, and then your parents, right? If you, you know, absent of any other person. That's Those people are disallowed to your IRA. And so your IRA doesn't invest in them. They can't receive any personal benefit, present benefit, indirect benefit. Keep it arms length. Yeah. That makes total sense. Makes total sense. So many little nuances. There are, and, and that's what we do. I mean, really, we spend half our time talking to our account holders or, you know, people call us. I mean, the phone rings all day. We talk to people about their deals. And usually people have done a lot of homework on this first. Uh, but, you know, regardless of whether you've done your homework or not, call us and say, this is what I want to do. Does it sound like it would fit into an IRA? Mm -hmm. and have that chat. Makes sense. Makes sense. And IRAs can go into a syndication or does the Absolutely. Person... Okay. Yeah. And how... So let, let's talk about that. Yeah. A syndication has a lot of different names. We could like a fund, a syndication, right? A reg A, B, C, or D offering, private equity, PPMs, you know, you know, blah, blah, lots of crowdfunding. It's all the same thing. It's all rate, it's SEC regulated, raising capital from other people using it. Nice. So it's nothing, you just, you just, if you were to join in, say a multifamily syndication, you could just fill out the paperwork that requires in the portal that basically ask, you know, whether it's an IRA and then um, off you go. There's it's no Easy complications because you're not, you're not the um, person operating. There's no mixing right. of funds and all of that. So that's actually sounds like it's a very ideal way yeah. to get some decent returns with an, a self-directed yeah. IRA. Unless of course it like filed it. is the syndicator, correct? Because that's where <laughs> <Right>. that. <laughs> yeah, but that would be your own deal. So you couldn't. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't be able, the mother would not yeah. be able to invest in their son or daughter's deal. Yeah. <laughs> but there, there are some things to concern yourself with when you're investing in private equity. So you want, I can go on that if you like. Yeah, please. Yeah. Yes, please. Okay. From an IRA perspective. Well, first off, syndications and private equity is the number one asset class for self-directed IRAs. So we'll just put it out there. It is happens okay. all day long. We have so many account holders investing. 
to invest in a syndication, typically you have to be considered uh, accredited. And that means you have a certain network, right? You probably all know what that is. Mm-hmm. Or maybe sophisticated. So that's a barrier to entry. So say you're accredited, you're sophisticated, you get into this deal, great, you invest, but you have to do your due diligence. And there are so many places to do that. Um, I sit on a board of directors for a group called RITA, the Retirement Industry Trust Association. It's our our, um, national organization. And we are very concerned about fraud awareness because in a syndication, there's no promise to repay you. Everybody's taken on the same risk. You know, hey, this isn't a sure thing. We're giving it our best shot and we're all, we're all, we're all in it together. It's kind of, is sort of the, the idea. So you definitely want to make sure that when you are investing in private equity, that you look at the documents and make sure that they agree to provide audited financials to you. Um, you need to make sure that one of the things you want to ask the asset sponsor, are they taking on leverage? Because if the asset sponsor is taking on leverage, it could throw off that, that uh, UDFI tax we talked about. So th- those are some due diligence, due diligence points. But we do see, you know, it's possible to lose every penny you invested in private equity. So there's that too, because with investment, there's risk. So, so just do your homework. You know, we've got a lot of suggestions on how you can check out asset sponsors. For example, there's FINRA, NASA with an extra A. Uh, even the AARP website has a way of checking out people that are supposed to be registered with the SEC. Or it's funny, you look there and you find out that people have had infractions. Or just Google them. Google them. If you're investing with an asset sponsor and you know their name, it's so you're investing, you're putting your money with someone else, put their name in a Google bar with the word fraud after it uh, yep. <laughs> or lawsuit or something. You definitely want to know if they've had 12, you know, uh, investors sue them or something. So do your, do your homework. Um, because, and the reason I'm saying this is not to scare people, but just to say that these retirement dollars are precious, not just because we worked really hard to earn them, but because it's hard to put them back. You know, if you lost money, you couldn't right. just, boom, you know, the next day just dump a lot of money in there. You can't. You've got caps per year. So it's not just money. It's time. And time is a lot more precious. So you want to do your homework. And, and again, call us and we'll help you with some ideas about how to do your due diligence. Could you touch a little bit? You mentioned um, going into authentication and if the property has leverage, which most of them do in a syndication. How, you talked a little bit about that tax. Can you touch on that a little bit more? Right, so if you're interested in the UDFI tax, UBIT UDFI, first off, here's, you can jot this down. It's irs.gov, the IRS's website, super easy, irs.gov. Gosh, you type in IRS and it'll come up, you know? And look for publication 598, of 598. And that will give you all the rules. So if you wanna go deep on it, there you go, pub 598. But it is a tax based on leverage. So as I was explaining, maybe you've got this $100,000 house, Seventy thousand came from your IRA. Thirty thousand came from leverage, like a, a non-recourse loan. Well, then here comes a thousand-dollar rent check. Thirty percent of that, or three hundred dollars, was earned by your IRA because of leverage. So that thirty percent is subject to tax. And like you and I, we file a ten forty. Your IRA files a nine ninety T for the special tax, not income tax. It's a different kind of tax. Um, so a good CPA knows what they're doing. But other other Entities that file 990Ts, for example, are charities. You've got a, like a tax-deferred charity. So I sit on a charity board, too. We have a 990T for our, for our organization. Same thing, because we're tax-deferred. You know, tax wow. Oh, my gosh. So much information. <laughs> yeah. That's- Fantastic. It's so much more than I was expecting. So my brain <laughs> is absorbing it, and 
just I myself I'm gonna have to listen to this podcast over and over again. <laughs> well, I think that the point about you know going deep on some of these things is it gives you really good questions to ask yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you ask right. those questions and then you can find you can find answers and we certainly are a resource for those answers. Or if you're in a deal like, wait a minute, she said this, you know, and ah, I better check on that. So it'll maybe trigger you to remember things for the future. But we have, you know, we've helped thousands of people self-direct successfully and make make a great profit, build their retirement. You know, another one of those layers that you need, those multiple, um, you know, multiple streams of income you need to retire. Yeah, wow. You'll definitely be getting a call from me <laughs> in the new year. <laughs> great, okay. <laughs> For sure. That's, that's awesome. Man, so important wow. to get started. Oh. Does anybody else have yeah, any more questions? questions before we... Your brain hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're trying, I think we're trying to soak yeah. it all in. So, well, I can um, talk about the process and how long it takes if you want. Oh, that's yeah. a very good point. Yes. <laughs> How about oh, that? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And that, that part's easy. You open an account, you fill out a form, you give us your ID, basically, you know, some forms. And maximum 24 hours, you've got an account. You log in, get online, see your account, beautiful. As a self-directed investor, you want to make sure you go on there every month and pull, pull down your statement, save it to your hard drive on your computer. Great. Now you have an account. The second step is to fund the account. And as we were talking about earlier, you can contribute, you can transfer, or you can roll over. And transfer an IRA, roll over a previous employer fund. So it's open, fund, and then invest. Three steps. So you open it up, you put money in it, you fund it, and then you find an asset. And you invest it after you do your due diligence. You invest. All the proceeds go back in the IRA that owns the asset. And any expenses of that asset are paid for by the IRA that owns it. And that is the really short version. Well, and to take advantage of that during a tax year, is there a certain time in the tax year that you need to have all this completed by, or could you do this on December 29th? Okay, never do anything. Two days. Except take, except just, you know, watch Netflix or something, because you should be resting. Okay. So, <laughs> but yeah, don't do things at the last minute when it comes to your business. That's how I do but it, there used to be a deadline of December 31st to open a solo 401k if you wanted to make a prior year contribution. Okay. Right, that went away. Yay, because we would, right now we'd be getting hammered with people wanting to open a solo 401k and we couldn't help it because the IRS gets backed up, we can't. Oh. And so that, that deadline is gone, yay. So a SEP is especially interesting when it comes to making a prior year contribution. A SEP, you can go all the way past all your extensions and if you haven't filed your taxes yet, you could make a prior year, like like a 2022 contribution to your SEP IRA on October 15th of 2020. Oh. Right? If you have, so it's your tax wow. filing date plus extensions. Wow. You know, that's for a SEP for a for a solo K, for a solo K for an IRA for a like a, a Roth or traditional. That deadline is is um, April 15th for you know the tax the tax filing. Nice. Awesome. So, for example, on, on January 2nd or January 3rd, you could contribute, you could make a 2022 and 2023 contribution uh, to an account if you haven't done so already. Okay. Nice. There's so many more ways to contribute than I ever expected. I thought it was just the super clear cut, like 6000 that's all you could do. Of course, I'm 
in this very early process of starting to learn about this type of stuff, but there's a, there's so many great ways and having a professional on your side, like yourself is so important. So that's, that's awesome. Good to know. And I think what you women are doing here and creating this atmosphere of education and support and encouragement uh, for other people to help them become wealthy. This is, this is awesome. And so the more you learn, the better you do. You learn all the ins and outs. And then you've also got someone to go to. That's what's so great about what you're doing because like, hey, what, what's this? Uh, I don't know how to do this. And you're a resource for each other. And that's beautiful. Awesome. Thank, you. Thank you. Well, speaking of resources for my brain that's already been overloaded with information, <laughs> for someone like myself that is easily overloaded when it comes to this kind of uh, stuff, um, if I were to open an, an IRA, would I have to start? I mean, obviously, I would have to understand the basics, but would someone like yourself be there to guide and say, you know, Candy, it's time you do this and that? Rather, or just say, oh, no, open an account with me, like the clerk at the bank, and then you have to know the rest. Like, how does that well, work? No, it's, it's like, it's self-directed. So mm -hmm. you have some responsibilities. Yeah, we don't, we definitely, I mean, well, certainly if you call and say, I need help with something, we're a hundred percent here. We have a whole staff of people helping you. Mm -hmm. But as far as we're not going to, um, like, you know, like your mom reminds you to do your homework. It's not like that at all. It's, it's, it's right. self-directed. So you know, you open it, you fund it, you know, it's there just like when you take out a mortgage, they don't have to, you know, they're, well, they do, but they don't have to remind you to pay your mortgage payment. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it's open and funded, then you invest and it's your responsibility to, to check on your account, to open it up, look at it. Hey, did my borrower, maybe your IRA made a note. Did my borrower make the note payment? I, I invested in real estate. Did my renter pay the rent? So you're definitely, you're monitoring this just like you would any other thing that you take care of. Okay. And then you would be the person they would go to, to just to talk the strategy to see if it would work and be appropriate legally for this particular type of retirement. Yeah. We don't give legal advice, but we'd say, you know, yeah, does it fit in an IRA? And I have a whole staff of people. Then we have, we're sort of divided into these three groups to open fund and invest. We have staff where they specialize in those three areas. Um, one help, you know, really specializes in the upfront part. So you can talk to them about that another in funding and another in, you know, bringing the money in and another investing, which is giving money out. So we have specialists in every area. And then when you open an account, a transaction coordinator will reach out to you and say, hi, I'm your transaction coordinator. Here's how you invest. And then you contact that person. So you're really assigned to a person. And it's not like you're going to talk to a call center in a foreign country. It's you're going to have a person and then they will be your go-to person. And you call them up and say, Hey, I got your email. How do I do this? And they'll walk you through the process. Beautiful, beautiful. Nice. Well, that was awesome. That's Amazing. so much great info. <laughs> Go ahead, Tamara. Sorry. Well, so, Karen, um, if our guests want to learn more about you and what you do and how, how can they reach you? Right. Well, the website is the best place, udirectira.com, the letter U, udirectira.com. And we have so much information on the site. Um, a lot of places where you can click to like schedule a consultation or contact us and all that. Uh, info at udirectira.com is really the best way. And we always respond. If we got your email, we'll respond to it. <laughs> if we didn't get it, call us because we just didn't get your email. You know, but we respond to everything we get. Awesome. Well, um, we like to end each podcast um, with a thought-provoking uh, quote of the day. 
And um, I have three cards um, for you to pick, um, one through three. Okay, fate has a hand in this determination. Yeah. Let's go with three. <laughs> so number three. So number three is know what you own and know why you own it. Ooh. By Peter Lynch. There you go. And if you don't know why. So what, <laughs> what resonates with you when you hear that? It really, really does. It really does. And when you own it, something in your self-directed IRA, the why is clear. It's for your retirement. Oh. It's, you know, you're doing yourself a huge favor. That's true. Your self-directed IRA is buying something. That's obviously on that financial plan. So that's that's true. It's awesome. That's a good there one. You go. And then, believe me, there's a lot I didn't say too. So maybe we could chat again. But there, but it's it's just a great place to get started to understand uh, retirement accounts and investing and there are different aspects of it. I've been doing this for 15 years, so um, I'm happy to answer any questions people come up with later on. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Candace. Mm -hmm. Thanks, ladies. Mm -hmm. Candy? Well, we have run out of time, unfortunately, because this is like, uh, it's a plethora of knowledge here. Um, but it's been fantastic chatting with you, Karen, and who knows, we might have you back on another one to go into a deeper dive once <laughs> we absorb all the information that you just gave us. Um, so we was, was just want to say thank you for coming and we want to thank all of our listeners for being with us today and uh, joining us at the roundtable. And if you'd like to learn more about uh, us, you can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, or visit our website at therealestatewomen.com. Um, again, appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye. contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only. We are not licensed professionals and do not give investment advice, tax advice, or other professional advice. Please consult a licensed professional before making any financial decisions. 